Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Sometimes the sea bests all of us. Not your night. All right. Time to be done. for this, Andrew. It's him! Simon! It's the man! John said he's here! Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. brother and a baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, how sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. <laughs> what do you want from me? Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. you don't know, that is a clip from a show called The Chosen. 
And what it is uh, portraying is the scene from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Uh, I would encourage you, if you have not watched that show, to download the app and watch it. It is absolutely incredible. Uh, they have done two seasons, and now they're in season three. But um, <clears throat> what you just saw, I'm sorry, that was Luke 5, not Luke 6. But what you just saw was Jesus' first pursuit of Peter. But how many of you know that that was not his last pursuit of Peter? Which is to, to say that Jesus is always pursuing us. Jesus would not die on a cross, seek and save that which is lost, only to stop seeking you once you're found in him. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus is constantly pursuing because he wants more and more of our heart. God does not pursue you, stop pursuing you because you're found. And then he doesn't, to take it a step further, he doesn't actually uh, find you and then say, this is going to be a one-dimensional thing. Now it's your job to come and find me. That's not who God is. See, you're his son and his daughter, and there's nothing that you can do to get him to stop chasing you down. So we'll see this truth demonstrated in the life of Peter and as it was said earlier, we are in the uh, beginning of a series called A.D., where we're taking a look at the events uh, immediately following Jesus' death and resurrection uh, to just see what God has to speak to us today. And I'm telling you that God has something to speak to you today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 7. As you know, uh, every one of the Gospels... Every one of the Gospels shares the story of Jesus' crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and this one is no different. Mark chapter 16, reading from the New American Standard Version. If you don't have that, that's fine. You can just look up at the screen. And it says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome, or Salome, however you want to pronounce that, bought spices so that they might come and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb, and uh, when the sun had risen, they were saying to one another, <clears throat> um, they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right. Now, this is no ordinary young man. This is an angel in the form of a young man. And he's wearing a white robe, and they were amazed or wonderstruck. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He has risen. Can I get an amen? amen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. So he shows in the place where they laid him other, other versions of this same story that said that Jesus actually folded up his uh, garments and he folded them up and set them on the place that he laid them. Jesus ends up making tombs better than he found them. So Jesus folds it up and says, he's not here. Here's where I want you to lean in. He says, but go tell his disciples. And here is a very interesting uh, anecdote. And Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. The Passion Translation actually says, go and tell his disciples, comma, even Peter. He is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. This morning, I want to um, talk to you from the creative uh, title, Jesus Pursuing Peter. Let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, this time before your word, and uh, Lord, we just pray that you would help me to do the best I can to articulate what your heart is to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for everyone that is here. Obviously, it is no accident that they are here. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would be overwhelmed by how good you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Question for you to start out. Has anyone ever felt like they're not good at following Jesus. Like, if you don't, you need to be the one preaching. 
You ever felt like you're just not good at following Jesus? You have those bad days, those bad moments. Like, have you ever gotten frustrated because of your ability to change bad behaviors or habits or get over sinful tendencies? You ever get to a point where you follow Jesus for a long time and you condemn yourself thinking, by now, my God, I should be over this thing. You feel like you fall short over and over and over and over again. And we all get to these moments where we just want to kind of like throw in the proverbial towel, uh, hang up the cleats, retire from following Jesus. See, whenever you feel down on yourself, I want to encourage you to do something that is a spiritual activity that I like to do whenever I feel discouraged or I ever feel down on myself or I feel like I've, I'm unworthy or disqualified myself. Whatever I am down what I like to do is I like to read a story about something stupid that Peter has done. It's absolutely encouraging. If you feel like you disqualify yourself, find in the gospel something stupid that Peter has done, read it, and you will instantaneously feel better about yourself. I love Peter. I love what Peter does. Peter gives me hope when I want to throw in the towel. Peter is refreshing to me. Peter makes me feel better about myself. Uh, Peter, <laughs> Peter uh, I, when I look at, at Peter, I think if Jesus can be patient with Peter, he can be patient with me. I thank God for the fact that Peter's flaws are so out in the open in the Gospels. You see all of these things. I love Peter. As you, as you already know, mentioned, matter of fact, many of you already know that Peter was a significant leader in the church. Um, Peter is mentioned several times throughout the Gospels. Peter uh, is, uh, a, a, in a lot of ways, he exemplifies the absolute stupidity and foolishness of human beings while also simultaneously demonstrating the incredible things that God can do through human beings. I love this duality because often this is where I find myself. In one moment, I can feel amazing about myself and what God is using me to do, and literally moments later, I'm like, I am the epitome of stupidity and foolishness. Is it just me? Right? Peter is here. Have you ever felt that way about yourself where you put in like a couple of good days and weeks where you are serving God, doing a great job? At doing that, you feel like you can pat yourself on the back for just the consistency of your devotion, and you know you feel like you have your habits under control, and then crash. This was me like days ago. I get up early at like six o'clock in the morning, and I get to, I'm spending time with God. I'm having some Jesus time, and I'm praying, and I'm reading my Bible, and I'm worshiping God for a couple songs, and I just feel like I have started my day so, so good. And I'm praying, like, God, whatever may come, Lord, I pray that I would honor you with everything that I do. And then not even two hours later, I'm looking at my kids like, stop! You're stupid! You're not... See, this is what parents do. You say your kids are stupid, and you're like, oh, my God, I just made a mistake. And then you want to undo it by saying, you're not stupid what you did was stupid. Like, it's not you. It's just everything you do. Like, this is where I'm at. I'm like two hours later. Like, go to your room. Why? I need a break. You've only come downstairs for five minutes. I need you to put yourself in a timeout. My God. And you're, listen, you're like at this point where you're just like, so angry at yourself. Like, I, in those moments, I'm more angry at myself than I even am at the person. Right. Like, my God, I have followed Jesus for so long. By now, I should be better at this. And the crazy thing about humanity is the older you get, the harder it is to overcome things because your habits have had tenure. It, I'm just saying. Like, the older I get, I'm like, man... I used to be way more controlled with my tongue. And here I am, I'm just like a loose cannon. You know, like slamming doors and stuff. Like, let's be honest. 
See, Peter is one of the most uh, interesting disciples. He's one of the first disciples and primary leaders, according to Mark chapter 136. And obviously, as many of you already know, like he would become a later, uh, he would become a very significant leader in the early church. Peter is the leader of the pack. He's oft, often outspoken. Um, matter of fact, not only was he outspoken, but a lot of times the disciples would lean on Peter to approach Jesus with questions they did not want to ask him themselves. So Peter was the outspoken one. Um, he has times where it seems like he isn't exactly the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, he's ambitious, but he can also be impulsive, and he can say the wrong thing at the, at the wrong time. He's, Peter is what I like to call an action-thought-regret type of person. He speaks before he thinks, and he acts before he thinks. He tends to lead with his heart. Anybody ever tend to lead with their heart and not with their brain? Okay, this is Peter. Peter tends to lead, lead with his heart, and he can tend to shoot himself in the foot. And in spite of all of that, we know this, that Peter has a lot of high highs, okay? But he also has a lot of low lows. But just to be optimistic and have a good time, let's talk about the high highs for a minute, okay? Let me give you a couple examples of Peter having some high highs. Number one, Peter walks on water. Okay, let's, let's not skip to the end of the story about him feeling like he's going to drown, but let's acknowledge the fact that he is the only disciple to get out of the boat, to step out in faith and courage out of the comfort zone that all the other disciples were in, and to actually walk on the water. That's in Matthew chapter 16, or 14, 28 through 30. He walks out. Now, one of the things I want to details that I want to show you is number one, he doesn't walk on placid water, he walks on waves with Jesus. The boats were too, the boat, as scripture says, it was roughly about 200 yards away from the seashore. Jesus walks out. Jesus, all the other disciples are freaking out because they think that this is a ghost on the water. Peter says, If it is you, bid me to come out of the boat and walk to you so that I will know that it's you. Jesus is like, get out of the boat. Peter, being the ambitious guy that he is, steps off of the, the, the boat. He gets out. We don't know how many steps that he takes, but he takes his eyes off of Jesus, looks at the waves. Actually, it says that he doesn't even look at the waves. He looks at the wind. I don't even know how you do that. Regardless, he looks at the wind, freaks out. I think we all would have had that moment to realize we are walking on water. And he walks on water, takes his eyes off of Jesus, he starts to sink. He cries out to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, man, I'm going to come and get you. He walks over. He grabs this. Now, I want you to notice this de detail in uh, verse 32. He walks. He, Jesus pulls Peter out of the water. And verse 32 says, and when they got back in the boat, what that suggests is that from the moment that he fell to the moment they got back in the boat, Jesus and Peter walked hand in hand on the waves back to the boat. Jesus didn't like see him sinking and be like, I'll join you, sink, and then swim freestyle to the boat together. <laughs> he pulls him out and they walk back to the boat hand in hand. Only one that can say that is Peter. That's a high high. Number two, Peter has the answer to Jesus's question in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? That's a high high. They're here. Jesus wants to know how everyone sees him. And so they're like, some people say that you're Jeremiah. Some people say that you're Elijah. Some people say that you're Moses or John the Baptist or whoever. And then Jesus is like, that's fine and good, but who do you say that I am? And everybody is crickets. But Peter, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus comes, just almost stands back like, you got it. And he says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this, or flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Je Jesus wants Peter to know that he has become the reciprocant of a revelation that neither, none of the other disciples got. Peter is special, and he gets, obviously, uh, Jesus goes on to encourage Peter and says, hey, this, found, this revelation is foundational. This is what the church is going to be built on. Dude, you're incredible. And he blesses him. That's a high high. Number three, Peter's the one, I love this moment. Peter is the one who stands before Jesus and the disciples in John 6, 68 and 69 and says this, 
There are disciples that are leaving Jesus because Jesus has said to them, I love this, Jesus often would filter out the followers. Jesus said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you will have no part of me. People are like, you're crazy, I'm out. Now, that was obviously communion in foresight. But the reality is, is he was filtering out how many people would be devoted to him in the mystery of not understanding everything that he would say. And so Jesus, once they all leave, Jesus looks at his other disciples and says, y'all going too? And I love this moment. Peter says, oh my gosh, it's so good. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Such an amazing moment to stand up and proclaim that. Last one. Peter's among the three that Jesus invites onto the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17. He gets the invitation to come up to the mountain and see Jesus reveal his eternal nature to him. They're up on the mountain, Peter, James, and John, and they're up on the mountain, and Moses and Elijah appear out of nowhere. And Jesus is having a conversation with him. By the way, how did that conversation go? Right. How long you take it? How long it take you to get here? Like, what is? How how is it up there? Y'all good? Gabriel still up to some dumb stuff. Like, it, it's amazing. What were they even talking about? But nevertheless, Peter gets to see Jesus transfigured in his presence. And not only that, he gets to hear the audible voice of the Father from the cloud. Yeah. It's amazing, high highs. But how many of you know, for every one of Peter's high highs, he has double the low lows. Sure. And I don't read about Peter to encourage myself with his highs. Right. I read about Peter to encourage myself with how stupid he was. <laughs> Let me give you an example. Peter asked Jesus how many times he has to forgive his brother, who happens to be a disciple as well. How awkward was that? Hey, Jesus, how many times can my brother sin against me and I have to forgive him? And then he adds this, seven times good enough? Like, we, we have the beauty of hindsight looking back at Scripture and seeing how funny that is. But I just think it's so funny that Peter said, is seven times, seven, seven times good? That's, that's hilarious. How many times do we see, like, Peter putting his foot in his mouth with all of these different scenarios? It's so funny to me. Here's another one. Peter asks... <laughs> Sorry. Peter asked to build tents for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration. Peter is trying to make the Mount of Transfiguration a hotel. And I love this in the scripture. I think it's Matthew 17. And once, once again, I told you that Peter has these high highs, and then literally moments later, he says something stupid and goes to a low low. In Matthew 17, he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's looking at everything that is happening, Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and they're all here, and it's majestic, and it's awe-inspiring, and it's an, it's an incredible experience. And Peter says, Lord, this is amazing. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to build a tent for you, a tent for Elijah, and a tent for Moses. Let's, I don't even need a tent. I'll just lay on the bare ground. Let's all hang out up here. This is incredible. And if you read the story, what's especially hilarious is the next couple of base verses, Jesus doesn't even acknowledge what Peter said. It's like, it's like Jesus held his tongue. I see Jesus hearing Peter, and he's like... <laughs> It's like internally, he's like, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> I love this about Peter. Foot in his mouth over and over and over again. Here's another one. This is especially crazy. Peter has the audacity to tell Jesus that he isn't going to die and be resurrected. And he rebukes him by telling him, 
that he's Satan. Peter is the only disciple that we will be able to know for sure in heaven that he also was called Satan by Jesus. Get behind me, Satan. You have the heart and the values of man, not God. This is Peter. <laughs> How funny. Just let's all take this note that when we go to heaven, if we see Peter, let's make a commitment today that we'll be like, what's up, Satan? <laughs> Peter would be like, it's not funny. It's a low moment for me. <laughs> Too soon? <laughs> cracks me up. See, though, now, the interesting thing is, though, though all of these, listen, um, all of these stories, and I could continue to share more stories about Peter that I think are absolutely funny, just low lows, but uh, to validate this point, most of these momentary failures and mishaps, Peter's able to bounce back from, right? We, we all have these moments in our lives where we do something stupid, and we're able to bounce back. Peter's able to bounce back. He's able to bounce back from the Mount of Transfiguration. He's able to bounce back from uh, rebuking Jesus. He's able to bounce back from the initial, like, hey, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? He's able to bounce back from these failures and mistakes. But there is one that seems to totally take the wind out of Peter's spiritual sails. And basically, what it does is it gets him to walk away from it all. I would suggest that the one I'm about to mention is Peter's lowest moment. It's the time where, you know, Peter betrays Jesus. As the story goes, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus, Judas betrays him, and he is arrested. And there's this change of the scene. Once again, Peter doing what Peter does impulsively. He takes out his knife and he cuts off the ear of one of the Roman guards, once again trying to prevent Jesus from God's will for his life. Another foolish moment. But we see this change of scene. After that, God heals the soldier. We see this change of scene where now they are in the courtyard of Caiaphas, who is the high priest. Peter, being the faithful follower of Jesus, he follows Peter, or he follows Jesus to the courtyard because he wants to be as close as possible, and he is listening into the interrogation that is happening by Caiaphas, because remember, the accusation was that Jesus was blaspheming, saying he was the Son of God. And so here we see Peter in this courtyard. And Peter's great, greatest mistake is recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. We, see, we read that Peter publicly denies Jesus, not one time, not two times, but how many? Three different times. Verse 69, there is a servant girl that says this to Peter. You were with Jesus. Peter's response in the betrayal is, I don't know what you're talking about. In other words, dismiss this crazy servant girl She's out of her mind. I don't know what you're talking about. Now, what I want you to notice is that every betrayal becomes more and more severe in nature. The second one in verse 71, another slave girl says, this man was with Jesus. Peter's response is he swore by oath that he did not know Jesus. Who do you swear oaths by? By God. So I want you to understand what Peter is saying. I swear as God is my witness, I do not know Jesus. That's crazy. Now I want you to understand, Peter knows the things that Jesus has said about denying him. Once again, we go back to scriptures where Peter has heard Jesus say things like, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. And here's Peter. Let's look at verse, the, the third one. Verse 74. La lastly, some bystanders come by and say, now this will preach, surely this man was with Jesus, for even the way that he talks gives him away. Does your speech give away that you follow Jesus? So what does Peter do to try to prove the point that he doesn't follow Jesus? 
Peter wants to prove so much that he wasn't with Jesus that he begins to say something that people who follow Jesus wouldn't say. So he begins to curse and swear and yells, I told you, now crazy, I do not know the man, not the Messiah. He's making a point. Even in saying the man, he's gone to the point where he's trying to prove that he has not followed him because disciples do not follow man Jesus, they follow Messiah Jesus. He says, I don't know the man. To make matters worse, immediately after Peter gets done, it says a rooster crows. Now you know the significance of that because Jesus told Peter that this was going to happen. Listen to me. It is one thing for you to openly deny that you know Jesus, but it's a whole other situation when Jesus gives you a warning and a heads up that you're going to do it and you still do it. This is where Peter is. Looking back to Matthew chapter 26, verses 31 through 35, Jesus tells his disciples before the arrest that they would all fall away from him. But Peter, once again, being Peter, speaks up and says in verse 33, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. He goes on to verse 34, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this very night, not soon from now, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And rather, take, rather than take heed of what Jesus said, Peter doubles down on his promise, because this is who Peter is. In verse 35, he said, Even if I have to die with you tonight, I will not deny you. And following Peter's lead, all the other disciples said the same thing too. And not only did Jesus warn Peter that he would deny him, but I want you to listen to this. He also prayed that Peter would resist the temptation to deny him. Look at Luke 22, 31 and 32. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And here, Peter's faith has failed, hasn't it? Jesus warns Peter that he'll deny him, tells him how many times it will happen, and what will happen after that. He even prays that Peter will have the strength to be brave, and Peter doubles down on his promise that he is committed, and nothing will get in the way of Peter being faithful to Jesus. And yet, in spite of all of that, Peter denies Jesus. And this is where uh, insult is added to injury. Listen to Luke twenty-two sixty-one. The Lord turned and looked at Peter when he betrayed him the third time. He looked at him in the face. And instantaneously, it says, and Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And it goes on to say that Peter ran away and wept bitterly. Wept bitterly. In this moment, there seems to be nothing that Peter can do, there's no bouncing back from this for Peter. Peter is remorseful, he's ashamed of himself, he is embarrassed at his lack of strength and commitment to Jesus, he's gone too far. He's opened, he's openly, publicly betrayed Jesus. He's probably thinking things like, how could I do this to him after everything that he has done for me? He even told me that he would, that he prayed for me that I would not do this. He warned me and I still wasn't strong enough to stand up for him. Peter is done. He's tossed in the towel. He's given up. And this is the point in the story where we see that Peter goes dark. How many of you know what Peter goes dark means? He is removed from the narrative. Okay, you don't see where Peter goes. He's no longer on the map in the story. We don't know where he's gone, where he's ran off to. Peter isn't even mentioned as one of the disciples who witnesses Jesus' death from a distance or even being present at the crucifixion site with John and Jesus' mother. Remember, Peter was the one that doubled down and said, even if I have to die with you, I will never turn or deny you or betray you. And now the irony is the guy who said, I will die with you, is not even at Jesus' death to witness it. This is where Peter is. What is going on with Peter? Yes, I believe that Peter is certainly afraid, just like all of the disciples are, but 
The only one aside from Jesus or Judas that betrayed Jesus is Peter. And more than fear, let me tell you what's going on in Peter. Peter is drowning in his own shame, guilt, and condemnation. Have you ever been there? I hope, what you're under, I hope you understand what I'm talking about. Listen, we all get saved. We all start to follow Jesus. And before we get saved, sure, we feel momentary shame for mistakes, failures, compromises, shortcomings. But listen to me, when we get saved and start to follow Jesus, somewhere along the line, we get introduced to a new form of shame. We experience the love of God. We know the love of God and hear about the love of God and have an experience, an encounter with Jesus. And we make bold statements, don't we? Like, God, I will never turn my back on you. God, this is it. You are what I am living for. I will serve you forever. And then we crash. We make a mistake, go back to an old habit, give in to a sin that was part of an old life, and something begins to set in that we may have never experienced before. We start to believe that with every mistake, sin, shortcoming, failure, and mishap, that we are letting Jesus down. We're disappointing him. We're spiritually failing. We're not measuring up. We are wearing out his grace and his mercy. And as a result, God is mad. He's angry. And we think, how could I do this to him? Have you ever been there? How can I do this to him? Is this what I do with his grace? Is this what I do with his mercy? Don't I know better? And we walk around with shame and we're frustrated and we're angry, just like that small moment with my kids where I'm angry that I have not gone over, gotten over it yet. And listen to me along the line, if we're not careful, we can begin to believe that we are betraying Jesus all over again, just like Peter. We're turning our back on him. So Peter is in this moment. He's got shame and he's got condemnation. What is shame? I want you to hear this. Shame is the painful feeling of humiliation caused by a, dad, a bad decision. Shame, Peter is ashamed. He is embarrassed. He is humiliated. And as a result, what does shame do? Shame causes us to lose respect for ourselves. And we're haunted over and over and over again every time we remember the decision that we made. Is there anybody in the room that is haunted by a decision that you made in your past? I was telling the worship team, we can get to these moments where that shame seems to resurrect itself in the most inconvenient of times. You can be in a social setting, a birthday, a social gathering, and you go from laughing and enjoying the moment to as soon as shame comes out of the bottom pits of your soul and your heart, it comes to the surface, and here you are, you just draw back, and you're in yourself because you're remembering. It's got a hold on you right? Are you haunted by a decision? Shame becomes that friend that you don't ever want to have. It can make you feel trapped, like you can't move forward with your life. This is what shame does. Shame seeks to extend the punishment and the penalty that you have and experience because of the sin. It's trying to extend it, enlarge the penalty and the punishment and the sentence that you personally experience because of that shame. So Peter's ashamed, and Peter does what we all know to do. Listen, Peter does what Adam and Eve did. Peter goes into hiding. Have you ever hid from God? You might be in, do you know you can hide in church? We don't, we don't, we know that Peter did not give up believing in God. Peter gave up in following him. See, we all get to this point where we can hide. There's no bouncing back. He goes into hiding. We keep this intentional distance between Jesus and ourselves. We're afraid that if we actually spend time, this is what we do. We don't want to spend intimate time with Jesus because we don't want to hear what he has to say to us if he speaks. So we keep this intentional distance between Jesus and ourselves, and we go through the motions, we're in church, we're in the back row, or wherever we are, and we are actually hiding, just like Adam and Eve did. We're in hiding because we're ashamed of ourselves. What do we do? 
when we can't seem to bounce back. I believe that there could be people on the stream or right now that you have never bounced back from shame and you have actually been living in perpetual shame for decades, years, months, weeks. Just there. You're never able to bounce back. Maybe you feel like it robbed you of the way in which you had a relationship with God before. We can't break a habit or give up an addiction or behavior or a sin. So we throw in the towel, give up, walk away, and get as far away from God as possible. And here's why we do it. We're not only disappointed by our inability to change. We are also tired of breaking God's heart. And so we think God's mad and we just walk away. So Pete, here's where Peter is. He thinks there's no way that Jesus would ever want to see me, use me again, or even love me again. So I'm going to go into hiding and I'm going to go back. Listen, I am going to go back to what I did before I met Jesus. This is a hinge point for Peter. Peter's walked away and he's like, now what do I do? I guess I'll go back to fishing. That's what he did before Jesus. This is where his life changes directions. But I want you to understand something, what Peter doesn't know that I hope you know today, is that Jesus' death on the cross even covered Peter's betrayal. Let's take it a step further. Jesus died for Peter's betrayal and for the perceived betrayals in your past, your present, and the betrayals that will come. The ones you don't even know you're going to do. He died for all of them. Jesus' death covers Peter's shame and condemnation as well as it covers yours. As Romans 8.1 says, therefore now there is what? No condemnation. And what Peter will soon experience after Jesus' resurrection is what Paul later wrote about later on in Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, neither your addiction your bad habit, your sin, your failure, your shame, nor your ability to be good at following Jesus, none of it will be able to separate you from the love of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus dies, you can clap on that. So listen, it gets, listen, it's going to get better. It's going to get better from here. So Peter, Jesus dies, Peter's on the run, but three days later, Jesus raises from the dead, and what Peter will quickly find out is Jesus is still pursuing Peter. Mark 16, verse 7, go tell the disciples, especially Peter, to go to Galilee, and I will find them there. What you need to know about Mark is that Mark was actually Peter's gospel. Mark was Peter's gospel. Mark followed Peter to Rome, and Mark's gospel is Mark's recordings of Peter's sermons. I want you to understand what Mark 16, 7, this is a detail that Peter would have suggested Mark use in his gospel. I want people to know that there is a restoration and a redemption after the betrayal that gets you sidelined and sidetracked that says, I will never be able to be restored. I'll never be able to follow Jesus again. And matter of fact, I want you, make sure you write down what the angel told Mary, that Peter was here, he was running, I was here, I was running. But Jesus wanted me to know that he was still pursuing me after my betrayal. Make sure you mention that. This is the only time in all of the Gospels that it says, and Peter. Because it was under Peter's influence. I want them to know. You know my story, early church. You know about what happened. So Jesus appears to several different people in several different places, but ultimately he is going to Galilee just as he said he would. Why Galilee? I would like to suggest to you this morning that one of the main reasons for Jesus going to Galilee is because he knows Peter is going to be there. Galilee is 75 miles from where Jesus died. Peter has gone 75 miles all the way back 
to his past. Jesus knows where you are running to in your shame before you even run there. There is nowhere you can hide from the love of God. I added this in John 4. You know the Samaritan woman. It says that she would come to the well in the middle of the day. Why would she come to the well in the middle of the day? Because she had a track record and she had a past. She had married several different men and the one that she was with was not even her husband. She came in the middle of the day because it was the hottest time of the day and that's when all the other women going to draw well water would not go. And where does Jesus show up? He shows up, if you read the story, he didn't have to go there. He shows up right where she has run to in her shame. She's not at the well in the middle of the day because she's got great character. She's there because shame makes you go into hiding. And here's Peter in Galilee, and Jesus is like, I have come out of the grave, and I am going to pursue Peter. I'm going to let him know that I still have a plan for him. And it goes on to say, in John chapter 21, this is so good, it says that Peter, the narrative says that Peter tells his disciples, I'm going to go fishing. We see in John chapter 21, that he tells them that he's going to go fishing. And in verse 4 it says, But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? They answered him, No. Can I just say something? Peter must not have been a good fisherman. Because both times Jesus had to bail him out. Can I tell you, going back to your old life before you follow Jesus is not going to work out. You're going to be as miserable there as you were before. So here's Jesus showing up on the shoreline. Children, do you have any bread? No, because they're not good at fishing. It goes on to say in verse 6, and he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. I want you to understand that Jesus is repeating the same miracle to Peter that he did when he first called him to follow him. If this is not, you're getting a fresh start, I don't know what is. I'm going to show up, in matter of fact, the same sea that he met Peter at is the same sea that he is at in John 21 which is suggesting to us that Peter has gone back to where he was before he followed Jesus. I'm going back. I'm not good enough at this Jesus thing, following Jesus. So he goes all the way back. What Jesus does is he shows up on the same shoreline, repeats the same miracle to get Peter's attention. And the scripture says that Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to the shore says the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, verse 8, but about 100 yards away, dragging the net full of fish. So when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire already laid and fish placed on it and bread. Jesus is making breakfast for Peter. And do you notice the detail? There were already fish on the fire, which is to suggest, I don't need your fish. I don't need what you think that I need from you. Do you think this thing about following Jesus is about what you have to offer me? I don't need what you want to give me. I don't need your fish. I already have fish, but I'm going to perform a miracle because I want you to remi be reminded of what I did when I first called you. It was just to get his attention. So there's Jesus saying to them, bring some of the fish which you have now caught just because he wants relationship. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of large fish, 153 to, to be sure. And all there, although there were so many, the net was torn. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is fully restoring Peter by meeting Peter where he met him in the first place. Before he ever had the chance to betray him, and then he does it again to let Peter know that there is nothing that you can do to stop me from pursuing you. 
You know that scripture in Luke 22? I didn't, uh, I didn't actually mention, I didn't actually say it to you. I actually cut it off on purpose because I want you to understand this so that you understand the magnitude of Jesus's overwhelming, amazing grace and love under this new covenant. Listen to this. In Luke, I believe 22, you remember when Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, Satan has asked me permission to sift you like wheat. And I am praying for you that you will not fall into temptation. There was an, a second half to that scripture that I want you to get. He says this. He says, but when you return, I want you to go and strengthen your brothers. Jesus knows before Peter has the opportunity to betray him that he will betray him, but he already has his restoration planned out. When you return, go and strengthen your brothers about how amazing my love is, how amazing my grace is, how amazing this new covenant is, how amazing this mercy is, that even though I was ashamed and I went all the way back to the beginning, he arrived on that same seashore that he called me from in the first place to let me know that there's nothing I can do to outrun his love and to be restored back to a place of being used. Peter didn't even know in Luke 22, before he was going to betray him, that he would become a leader and apostle in the church in Acts. God already had it planned out in his head. Reason why my article this midweek was that Jesus hit the ground running after his resurrection was because there was an eagerness and an excitement in him to see every one of those sheep who were disciples scattered come back and be restored. If Jesus is pursuing Peter, he will not stop pursuing you. He will not stop. It says that Jesus says this to Peter, Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love, me. love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love How many times does he do it? Three times. Why three times? To undo every betrayal. I am starting you over. And by the third time, Peter's frustrated. Jesus, why do you keep on asking me this? I believe that Jesus wanted Peter to know, Peter, I know that you love me, but do you know that you love me? See, here's the thing. Some of you have a harder time forgiving yourself than receiving the forgiveness of God. And that's the biggest problem. Embracing the forgiveness of God is easy, but it's hard to forgive you. It's for hard to forgive yourself. But what Jesus was doing in restoring Peter was, no, 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 no. I know that you love me, and that's why you're frustrated. But do you know that you love me? Because I want you to forgive yourself because you had a weak moment. I want you to understand that I died for this. It was finished. And it's covered. And then he ends the conversation with Peter. Once again, the same way at the beginning. Follow me, Peter. Follow me. He went from follow me to failure to follow me again. Follow me, Peter. So there's nothing that you can do to stop God from pursuing you. With every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to do something that is not necessarily normal, but something we haven't necessarily done, maybe in the past. But if you're in the room, see, here's the thing. We do an altar call about being full of shame and nobody stands. Why? Because they're full of shame. Shame is what will keep you in your seat because you're hiding. If you're in the room and shame over some sort of experience, maybe it was something done to you or it was something you did and shame seems to perpetually resurrect itself in your soul, periodically, maybe days, weeks, months at a time, you just live in this funk where you believe, God, I can't, 
I can't seem to get beyond this. I can't seem to shake this. I am sinking in shame and I want to be set free. I want to be able to let that go. I want to be able to forgive myself. If that's you this morning, I want you to slip your hand up because I want God to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now here's what we're going to do. I have another video clip that I'm going to show. And it's by a guy named Graham Cook. And I want you to receive this is the ministry time. I want you to receive every single thing that he says for you. There is power when God speaks prophetically through a man or a woman. And I want you to receive this morning. I'm telling you, this was ministering to my soul this week. So I just want you to sit where you are. And if you raise your hand, I want you to open up your hands and say, Jesus, I receive everything that you are going to speak to me right now. Go ahead and watch this clip. Check it out. The Lord says that there is nothing that you can do that would make him love you more. There is also nothing you can do that would make him love you less. He loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. Because he loves you, 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 because that is what he is like. It is his nature to love. And you will always be the beloved. And his love is unchanging. And he loves you a hundred percent. He won't love you any better when you become better. He loves you 100% right now. And even if you have no plans to become better, He will still love you 100%. Because He loves you, because that's the way that He is. And even if you don't want to change, He will love you 100%. Even if you have no plans to walk with Him, He will love you 100% because that's his nature. He loves all the way, all the time. His love is unchanging. What will change, says the Lord, is your ability to receive my love. I want to cram some more of that ability inside you. So I challenge you, says the Lord, open your heart to me. Open your heart to me. And you will receive more of my love than you've ever experienced before. I dare you, says the Lord. Come on, open your heart to me. Give me your heart. Give me whatever your obstacle is. I'll take it. I'll remove it out of the way. Because I love you as you are right now. I love you 100% as you are right this moment. I love you as you are. So be loved. You are the beloved. It is your job, says the Lord, to be loved outrageously. It is why I chose you. That is why I set my love upon you. That you would live as one who is outrageously loved. That you would receive a radical love. So radical. It'll blow all your paradigms of what you think love is. And no, says the Lord, I will love you outrageously all the days of your life. Because I don't know how to be any different. This is who I am. And this is who I will always be. This is the I am that I promised you. I am he that loves you outrageously. And you may love me back with the love that I give you. You may love me back outrageously with the outrageous love that I bestow upon you. 
And know this, says the Lord, you can only love me as much as you love yourself. So my love comes to set you free from yourself. To set you free from how you see yourself. To set you free from the smallness of your own thinking about yourself. My love comes to set you free from rejection and from shame and from low self-esteem and from despair and from abuse. Because when I look at you, says the Lord, I see something that I love. I see someone that I can love outrageously. Beloved, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. And in my love, I want you to feel good about yourself. First Peter chapter 2, verse 25. It's again, this is Peter speaking from personal experience. He says, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. And listen to this. All too familiar for Peter. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. He knew that all too well. Jesus is forever, as long as your days are on this earth, he is forever pursuing you. He is not one that will stay in hiding. He is one that is chasing you down over and over and over and over and over again. God, I thank you, Lord, that even in our shame, even in our guilt, even in our condemnation, even when we cannot seem to get over addiction, or bad habits, or compulsive and impulsive tendencies, even if we can't seem to change our behavior, we don't have the strength and the willpower, and we just over and over again seem to make mistakes or fall short of the glory of God, I thank you that that is no deterrent to you. That you will meet us wherever we are. And God, it was your death and your burial and your resurrection that brought in this new covenant to show us that your grace and your mercy and your love is high, it's wide, and it is so deep. And wherever we are, you are chasing us down. If you're in the room today and you have never given your life to Jesus or maybe you have found yourself straying or gone into hiding and you just, someone drug you here maybe. You've just gone into hiding. There's nothing. I can't seem to shake myself. I can't seem to get over this thing. And and you want to either give your life to Jesus for the first time or you want to renew your commitment to Jesus, will you just slip your hand up today? Thank you. God, you see the heart. And you know. God, I pray that their relationship with you would be made new in the same way that your grace and mercy is new every morning. We thank you for their recommitment and their rededication to you today. We pray that they would fully embrace the grace and goodness of God and that shame would want to tell them a different story and guilt and condemnation would want to tell them a different story. I pray, Father, they would receive what has been spoken today and rest in the truth of your love for us, God.
Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you are visiting this morning, I would love to speak with you um, at the end or right now. But be released. We love you. Have a good rest of your week. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.